The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Welcome to Metagamers Not, this program dedicated to tabletop role-playing games and mostly related material at a presentation of Prismatic Tsunami. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm Vanessa. And this is episode number 256, Motivationally Speaking. We're going to talk about motives. And uh, because I'm not terribly motivated, we're going to get to that later in the episode. <laughs> want to remind you real quick, if you would like to be part of the conversation anytime, you want to discuss anything we talk about, give us uh, the lowdown on your opinion about it. We like opinions. They're like assholes. Everyone's got them, and we like to hear them. That's not actually the way that goes, <laughs> is it? So uh, <laughs> feedback. <laughs> I changed my mind. You got, don't, don't write. Um, feedback Aww. at prismaticsunami.com is the best way to reach us. Uh, feedback at prismaticsunami.com or join us on our Discord server. You'll find that in the uh, show notes. So how's everybody doing? Doing good. Doing, doing good. good. I'm alive. We got a, we got a pretty it's new Mountain Dew date for me, so I'm happy. Oh my God, what is it now? This is Baja Punch. It is a fruit punch flavored one. Great. It's an orange and can. Aren't, aren't, aren't punches supposed to be red cans? The, the soda is red. And also mm. two days ago was an also new Mountain Dew day for Baja Flash, which is pineapple coconut. That's a lot of Baja. This has been a good couple of days uh, for Baja. <laughs> if, you, if you say so. <laughs> For the Mountain yeah. Dew fanatics. <laughs> None of it's zero sugar, is it? See? Um, no, but the Baja Blast Zero Sugar did come back out. Oh, that's always nice. I don't know. I, I drank um, pretty much the entire inventory of Mountain Dew in my town when I was younger. So I, I really had enough. And, I, and now I'm diabetic. I don't think these are related. No. Of course not. Yes, I do. <laughs> that, that's, that's the truth. But yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't Hope it not. wasn't alone in its efforts to uh, corrupt my pancreas and tempt it to not function anymore. It was just a one little step along the way, and it was a man. It's the worst gamer trope ever, right? You know, oh, yeah. freaking oh, yeah. Doritos and Mountain Dew. It's about it was it was like my my late teenage early twenties was you know that was my diet. I didn't even drink, and I was out on stage playing you know shows, and I, I'd take my own freaking soda because nobody carried it. Right, and my bandmates were getting free beer. I was so lame. <laughs> <laughs> just just <laughs> terrible, terrible at being cool. I was always terrible at being cool. But you really okay. want a gamer trope? But this was a few years ago now in Japan, and yes, I did import a set of it. They had Mountain Dew flavored Cheetos. <laughs> Importing Mountain Dew flavored Cheetos. Yes. Is geeky as fuck, Joe. <laughs> and that wow. sounds disgusting. It does. It, it was, but it was also scary how much it tasted like Mountain Dew. But I found out then that my Mountain Dew should not be crunchy. That's, That's not a recommendation. Yeah. That no. sounds. How? What? I can't even comprehend this. <laughs> Don't try. It will just yeah, break your no. brain. Yeah, no. no kidding. We have so many more important uses for your brain. True. They not were they were not good. <laughs> oh, I should have <laughs> a picture now. Oh, my God. For the so, viewers uh, in the audience, picture the monstrosity that you could imagine. Yeah. <laughs> for the viewers in the audience. <laughs> we uh, we had a couple of really good games this week. I, I mean, may as well talk about that a little bit because I was um, pretty impressed. Probably worth noting that my um, my Monday night game, which includes Joe, yeah. was one that I spent a chunk of my weekend prepping for and getting all busy ready. And, you know, because uh, we didn't have a game on Sunday last weekend, did we? No. No. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, that's right. We had somebody. Else, we, Vanessa had something. Yeah. Yeah. We, we postponed for that week. Um, and this are we playing tomorrow? We're recording this as on a Saturday. As far as I know, Day. but I don't know when. Yeah. 
I think I'm the only dad at the table anyway, and nobody in my family cares. So, so as a reference <laughs> for everybody listening. It's just an over-commercialized <laughs> excuse to buy neckties, which I wouldn't use. We have as much fun organizing our games as you guys do. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the truth. We we have regular schedules. We try. I think that's actually what always gets me is so many people bow to the needs of real life to the point where they only only try to schedule within what they consider their means. So they go, we get together and game once a month or every two weeks if they're ambitious, you know, and then it's like, okay, if it's every two weeks and you miss a game, it's a month between game sessions, guys. If it's only once a month and you miss a game, it's two months between game sessions. And what happens if you miss that one? You don't remember who you're gaming with anymore by then. At least I wouldn't. Who are you people? You're kidding. If, it, if I hit a month between games, I'm not going to remember the people I'm gaming with. <laughs> Or the game. Or I the mean, game. That's, that's, <laughs> of course, I'm in a lot of games. If I if I had to wait that long, I'd be like, okay, and you are? And what were are we you doing? sure and I was playing a wizard? I just <laughs> oh, remember You mean that. the questions I ask every week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. try My to imagine Friday, that on a larger scale. My Friday game that Alicia runs is every other Friday, and... It helps that she loves doing a previously on to start the session because I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember that now. Has to. Yeah. Eric started Has doing that. When does that? I, sometimes it's freaking necessary. Yeah. But I, I, and I, and I'm not, I'm not bagging on people that have to deal with that in their real lives. You know, real life sucks and it's a dra- it's a dragon. Yes. You got to <laughs> Re- deal. Reality sucks. That's but why we role play. My approach has been always just schedule a fucking weekly game and just deal with it when it when it falls. <laughs> and that way you get more games than you otherwise would have if you only play them out every few weeks or something, you know? Yep. Uh, I just, it would drive me nuts. But then again, you know, I'm still doing, what, three games a week right now. So I, I definitely... And didn't uh, we just pass one year of our Monday game and you said we hit about every other week on average? Yeah, yeah, we did. We looked at the schedule and just, it just shit happens. And for whatever reason, Mondays have been like that. And it's, uh, I mean, and Jonica's in that one and is a, it's a smaller group. So it's only, it's only four players. So if one person isn't available, it's kind of, it's really not worth gaming. Right. For our story. I'm not saying that's always the case with a small group. Sometimes you, I mean, because you can have a great three-player experience or whatever. But, you know, with some games, it's not a big deal. If somebody doesn't show, you just kind of find a way to exclude them for that session or whatever. Move our, on. Our game is so role-play heavy. And and the story revolves so much around the characters. Yeah. And, you know? like, on Monday, I don't think anyone rolled a die the whole night. And it was fantastic. Is there a persuasion check or something? I think there was something, maybe. There might have been one die roll out of four players in, like, a four-hour game. Or maybe that persuasion check was from the combat the session before. I might be getting confused. Because, yeah, we do that. No, I, I thought it was a great session. I, I didn't yeah. have to use any of my material. So I still have it all prepped for this week. There you go. <laughs> you know, I just... And I knew it. I knew I had a strange suspicion. And what what happened was I was getting ready for it, and I commented to Nira how I we were we were about ready to deal with such and such. You know, as I was like, you know, you guys ready to to finally meet the Oberyn bad guys face to face or whatever. It's like you know this this is going to be cool. We're finally going to deal with some of this. And she's like, um, I don't know what planet you're from. First, you got to get through the argument. I'm like the argument. She says, Yeah, my character doesn't agree with this mission at all. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like fair. Oh, now I see how the night's gonna go, and she was right, but it wasn't what I expected either. It wasn't just four hours of arguing; it was four hours of everybody having different conversations about everything because it was like the first kind of downtime you'd had all together. And by everybody, of course, I mean the four PCs, the eighty-seven NPCs, and everybody <laughs> they've ever met. 
I mean, it just it gets insane. Yeah, say at one point I think it was the four players, and we were up to five traveling companions. Oh, good lord! Kids. <laughs> yeah, it it was well, crazy. and and I mean, it's it's worse because and, and of course, okay, I, I have an NPC problem, <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a drinking problem, right? Um, Hi, I'm Eric. Which is really related. Well, hey, Metagamers Anonymous, man. It's a support group. Um, What happened was I I like NPCs. I'm kind of addicted to NPCs because they give me an angle in the story, a way that I can interact with the PCs. But I'm very purist about the NPCs. So when an NPC interacts with the players, it is never the GM interacting with the players. Right. And a lot of times NPCs are not the most reliable source of information. They're not the most reliable people. They have opinions about things they will insert opinions and if you are one of those players who plays in my game regularly you already know you don't trust the guy in the corner and everything he says with confidence just because the game master's playing him no quite the opposite a lot of the time but you can certainly try it's a great way to screw yourself Uh, (laughs) but you shouldn't mistrust everybody because that wouldn't be any fun for anybody either trust is important we'll cover that um (laughs) so yeah the, the the whole uh the whole experience of of adding NPCs just, you know, piecemeal as you go and ending up... So it, it becomes daunting, and I've had this problem for years. And before long, you always have a party that's more NPCs than it is player characters. That gets challenging. So in this particular group, I've tried to do... In this particular campaign, I've tried to do a lot of kind of like switching out a little bit here and there, where it isn't that they like shed NPCs, it's that I find ways to separate NPCs from the party at the time when new ones come in. Like uh, in the situation they're about to go into, they gained a new NPC a couple weeks ago who's going to be joining them in this thing, but another one who's been with them for a while since almost since the beginning is like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing while you guys are at it. That needs right. to be done. And I'm still waiting for Willem to show back up because I'm sure he didn't just, he hasn't just been gone for no reason. Um, he will become the evil frog God that you guys will face at the end of the campaign. Right. Yeah. So he, he uh, is the Oberon. He, it's just him. I, Jonica has something to say. They'd better live through or I'll have one dead DM. I think she thinks this is threatening. I don't I don't understand it all. I will murder him in his sleep. <laughs> well, if anyone has the resources for that, level. it would be her. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh no, he has nap time. <laughs> you nap. can't you can't nap. predict it though. Nap <laughs> nap time lasts exactly <laughs> ten to twenty minutes and it occurs within thirty seconds of saying it's nap time. <laughs> I'm not going to live those down. And so I just know that I have to keep a knife next to the bed. And the next time nap time occurs, 30 seconds later, he'll be so out. I can just slit his throat. I mean, he even kind of hit REM sleep. You're not even supposed to hit REM sleep in 10 minutes. But the fucker did. And I'm going to get him while he's REMing. <laughs> this is what I live with every day of my life, guys. Do you envy me? It's all right. You can always stop her in her tracks by asking if there's clouds. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm not going to tell her. <laughs> no, I only say that because I am not in the same room as her. I'll tell her later. We don't need a rant. So um, yeah. we, we, uh, we, we've, we've had a couple of kids with the party for a while, though. And that's been a thing, has been dealing with the, the children. And so role-playing children, I mean, it's not necessarily a, a major challenge in itself. But keeping them as an ever-present element of the game where they, I mean, not like they're interjecting, but they're always part of what's happening. So, you know, I when you have this kind of rolling cast of NPCs, you've got to remember they're part of the situation. What's happening to the PCs is often happening to or around them as well. They'll have reactions. They'll have ideas. They'll have, and because they're kids, sometimes they'll have kind of stunted ideas or mistaken, you know, 
constructs in their head about how to handle things, just lack of experience or, you know, then these kids are preteens or, or tweens. So, you know, it's like <laughs> very on the cusp. Yeah, I'd have to check my notes, but I think you said they were all either 11 or 12. They were 12 and actually now they're 13 because it took you a better part of a year to catch up to them. But yeah, not a big deal. Anyway, and they, they took that year to become first level. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it all works out. Now they have the potential to actually be kind of useful, sort of, if sometimes-ish. And they're important. Anyway, that's that's another story. On uh, Tuesday night. <laughs> so the I haven't died week, yet. The previous week. <laughs> We got into the middle of, you know, these are short sessions, the online sessions sometimes. And we got into the middle of a battle and we just ran out of time. We were just, just playing out of time in the middle of the battle. And it was the worst place to have to do this because the party was in way over their head. Oh, yeah. Things I were mean, looking bleak and, and more just came at it. Surround enemies surrounding them on all sides and closing it because they got into a fight, um, inadvertently kind of beelined right for the boss, got into a fight, and then the party had been separated at this moment. So a couple of the members were still like, you know, a couple rounds away. So they get they get into this fight, realize how quickly, how serious it is, shout for help, which gets their party members coming at them, but also gets the attention of the, the orcs down the hall behind a door. So then they come out and join the fight. And then the noise of the fight and the boss making all the noise he is grabs another group of orcs from the other direction. You know, they just basically they wandered into the situation, got in over their head and then managed to raise the alarm. And though those whole complex and they're like, what, fourth level, third level characters? Third. I haven't made so it out of Vanessa Curse Zone yet. <laughs> Yeah, Vanessa doesn't make it past there. I forgot about that. So <laughs> you just, you got into the situation and it just unwound quickly. It would have been manageable one room at a time or something. Like a dungeon often is, but not so much. You know, and uh, I didn't really have a better way to handle it. I mean, it was it was the realistic response. I was amazed at how many people escaped with their skin intact, largely. A uh, couple of them got taken down because uh, some of the enemies were, were like monsters, like dire wolves. They weren't going to not chew people up and spit them out uh, or not spit them out as the case may be. Literally. The, uh, the, the actual orcs in the complex liked having prisoners for stuff. So they actually didn't kill a couple of the characters who were taken down. They just, uh, once they'd taken them out, they, they drug them to a, a cell and uh, dropped them off. So uh, six, five, five, six, how many party members are you guys? Five, six. Three, five. Help me out. Six. We had, we had three that were imprisoned, two people that died. And then, one Nira. escaped. <laughs> Nero escaped. <laughs> and you know, it's it, it's funny if you look at it now. It's predictable the way it, the way it ground down. You know, your two uh, frontline combatants are the ones that got into thick of it and were taken out. You know, that did not survive. And then uh, the like the the ones who, of course, approached later were captured because they got there and were intersecting fresh opponents who hadn't been involved in the other fight, you know, at the outskirts of this. I, I and, and you know, it, freaking Nero's character got away because she's just designed to get away. You know, that yes. was what she does. I still think and on the Monday game, Nero is going to be the one to survive. We're all going to end up dying because we think that's what fate wants. And she's <laughs> just going to be like, nope, and leave. <laughs> I don't know, man. Gwen's a... Gwen's a powerhouse, though. Yeah. You know, she's, I mean, she's a paladin. She's designed to hit hard a couple times. <laughs> yeah. After that, it's like, link, 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 But, you know, and not, not that, not obviously, because she can still wield a pretty good weapon and 
now she's got pretty good armor and you know she's capable yeah mm. but i just see that that would be the one character when everyone else is like oh we found out the prophecy says we all have to die so i guess we have to and she'd just be like no no i'm not and just go away <laughs> i mean we already have uh Jonica's character who killed herself to draw in like these shades of death yeah that's what? a normal thing <laughs> Yeah, in the game, there's these like Mordian shades that appear and like kind of rip people's souls, and we needed their help. So to call them, she just killed herself, and we were able to bring her back. But that was how she was able to summon the shade. Yeah. Oh, now I'm thinking about a TV show. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One of the things I found interesting was that because of this, the way this session broke down, actually, because we were in the middle of the battle and everything had gone to hell, and so so everybody suspected they weren't going to survive. Half the party had characters ready before the next uh, replacement characters ready before the next session. I'm an eloquence bard, and uh, so that that um, that brought up an interesting question. One of the things that we do a lot that we that that happens in the group just kind of naturally, and uh, probably Joe in your experience as well, uh, is and is and is is common for D and D players anyway because of the way character niches work out is that when you're starting a game, bringing characters into a party, you look at what's not really represented. You know, there's a couple of reasons for that. The obvious being that you want to bring a power to bear that the party can benefit from that they don't currently have. And secondly, so that you have a niche that is makes your character a little more unique, you know, right. so that you aren't just duplicating something somebody else has done, your character feels redundant. Those are important. Well, that, and, and if you're doing a module... You get in that situation where the module's built for a certain capacity, so the dungeon's not flexing around your party's design. It's flexing around the idea of a party design. So if you don't cover your pieces, you don't have all your pieces. We ran into that issue a lot in uh, the Friday game Alicia run. She's running us through Tomb of Annihilation. And up until a couple weeks ago, it was only a three-person party. And it was myself who, well, I'm on character three, but right now I'm a barbarian. The other two players were both playing rogues. And that was our party makeup. <laughs> now, one of the yeah. two other players, her boyfriend just joined our group a couple sessions ago. So now we have a warlock with us. So we at least have some magic, but it's still... A warlock, a barbarian, and a pair of rogues going through Cholt. Which is fine. Yeah, it's fun, but it fun. Does, definitely makes it, from a game standpoint, it makes it harder to make it through everything. From a role-playing one, it's just as fun as if we had a balanced party. We're still having a good time with it. And here's the real, you know, question from for, for game masters. There's a couple ways you can approach this, especially when you're running something like a published adventure that's already got everything kind of done for you. You can either customize the challenges to better fit the abilities of the party, or you can rely upon the party to come up with creative ways to overcome their shortcomings. And I don't honestly feel that either is wrong, but they come out very differently in execution. There's no doubt about it. I can't say 100% because I haven't read the book, but I believe Alicia is relying heavily on the second of, well, I'll give it to you as the book says, and we'll see what you can come up with. Right. You know, if you're if you're a party that doesn't have a healer, the most obvious glaring thing of it, you know, in, in that situation, like in many, a party that doesn't have a healer, for example, you can't rely on being able to recover quickly from combat injuries, and so it changes your 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 group's ability to process to process through adventure material. Yeah, you know, you uh, can't run into one fight after another after another, expecting that you're going to be able to stay up and and keep going. We um, do a lot more short right. rest. 
in this game than any other game I've played for. Because also, we're, we're in the middle of a jungle that's pretty wild and not very modern, so there's not access to, oh, well, I'll just go and buy some healing potions. Right. So there's there's right. nowhere to do that. Yeah, that matters when you're in the wilds, obviously. Matters often in, in a dungeon environment, anywhere, anywhere that you don't have access to. Replenishment. But... So, so that's a, a question that Richard commented recently that he'd run a bunch, run into a bunch online. Definitely, definitely in the zeitgeist, the whole thing about the perfect party versus uh, having fun, playable characters. And and I'm guessing that we're probably largely looking at D and D players in this. Most of these were D and D because that you know a lot of people play D and D. Yeah. And it's got all the class tropes in it, and and it makes it real you end obvious up with a healer the person to draw the attack, the people to cause the damage, and the person to cause the utility to make the other people more powerful and all that. Yeah, and and in, in in gaming, like in fantasy, you know, adventure gaming, there's a lot of situations that can be really common that different types of skill sets are necessary to overcome in obvious ways, not completely necessarily. If you don't have somebody that can pick a lock, you can always have somebody else that smashes it to pieces. You know, if you don't have somebody that can sneak, you just don't do sneaking, you know. <laughs> On Wednesday, when I was at the borough, I just picked up the uh, City of Brass book. It's uh, from Frog God Games. Frog God, yeah. I know um, one of our local people, uh, Casey Christopherson, worked on that. Yes, that's Derek was telling us about that. And it's an, I've just started looking through it. It's an awesome book. But right at the beginning, it says, uh, where is it? The party composition should include a cleric, an arcane spellcaster, a character capable of following tracks, character capable of locking and disabling traps and a decent contingent of fighters or other warrior types to handle melee combat with the various monsters and people who would do them harm. That's right at the beginning of the adventure. That is set for right a large says, party. Yeah, that right there says you're looking at at least five or six people to cover your bases. Right. Or a lot of overlap. And, but, and you can, well, obviously. Get clever. Well, it was even interesting. I watched uh, the Dungeon Dudes did one of the videos I talked about. Interesting little group. But uh, they each did a, a setup for a perfect party. Mm -hmm. um, one of them had all five people were very strong at their point, their role. The other one had five people who all were able to do a little bit of each and would, would complement each other in that way and cover all the roles cross-party. So if one person was down or out, you'd still have partial coverage of all your other roles. Uh, you know, they were both interesting ways of doing it. But at the end of the day, you come up with that perfect party situation. So what am I going to... I have to pick one of these and play it, but I'm in the mood to play something completely different. Where's my fun? That's interesting. The, that second approach with characters where you have a bunch of people that are multi-capable actually defies that the assumption of I'm going to do my thing that makes me separate and stand apart from everybody else. You know? Yeah, because all the characters were mainly a casting class, but they had all that coverage. Right. Right. And, and, and you've yeah. seen how like that how it happens. Wizard who fights on the front line. Yeah, like like Ken just did. I mean, he got killed. Who died just but... alongside my barbarian. <laughs> like, I've always thought it'd be fun to run a game where the entire party are all clerics, but of different domains. I could see that. I don't think I've ever seen an all cleric party in at my table. I've 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 been in an all wizard game before, but it was kind of the same thing where you had wizards of very different disciplines, and right. there was like one guy who was very much a wizard, a, a fighter wizard. 
you know, another person who had who had like you know Fifi background stuff. You know, so it really just kind of depended on how you play it how you, to, to get. It. But then again, you know, if somebody comes in, the, the easiest to me, to me, interestingly enough, uh, for any kind of general approach to D and D or similar games is all rogues, um, and that's assuming that you didn't have to have magic to overcome things. And of course, there are variants of the rogues that do. But an all-rogue party has a lot of the general adventure set anyway. The, mo- the rogues are basic. I mean, they're DPS. They're basically pretty, you know, combat-capable. Obviously, a lot of them are artillery as well. Um, they're capable of all the, the dungeon-y stuff, all the traps, and all the... They're, they're stealthy. I mean, obviously, these are all tropes. Not every rogue has to be like any of that. But their skill set is broad. They're just not really good at most of it. Yeah. You know, and that that could make a difference. Right. Unless, like you said, maybe, Rich, if you had a whole party of them, they really kind of maybe shore up each other's weaknesses a little bit. By, they would all numbers. have expertise in different skills. <laughs> yeah. We will win this by attrition. <laughs> We're guaranteed to roll a 25 on something. We just have to have the right person in front of that thing. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about the perfect party thing, though. It's it, I really I I, I want to I don't I, I want to talk about the other angle on that. And if you get me a link to that um, Dungeon Dudes video, Rich, I'll, I'll include that in the show notes. I I'll, I should find that because I, I like some of their stuff. Yeah. I like a lot of their they're, stuff. They're pretty. They're pretty uh, interesting. Kelly and Monty are awesome. I um but, I like to um, disagree with a lot of their stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I find I, I agree with a lot more of their stuff than some of the other stuff I see floating out nice, there. So, nice. uh, the other the other thing you said though was kind of like the play what's fun. You know, it's, it's like versus the, the perfect party versus just right. playing what's fun. And like the other night when you guys were making new characters, you guys since it's already a game in progress, you guys weren't like comparing notes. <laughs> we we did roles for the first game. We took our two biggest fighter characters and we're like, you know what, we're just gonna play something fun. And I'm like, I'm an elegant part. <laughs> and and then yeah, so you went a completely different direction. I mean as almost as different as you could get. Oh yeah. And I'm not a barbarian anymore. And Ken didn't. He uh, he changed classes and somehow it feels like the same character. It kinda <laughs> does. He's, and he's, he went with Eldritch Knight instead of Wizard with fighting skills. So it's like he's a hobgoblin fighter with a glaive with magic. He's almost the same guy, and he's from the same clan. I mean, he just didn't make he didn't make him his brother. Yeah, which you know that would have hey, been, but pretty much did. It's my identical funnier. twin brother that it's knows the all same the same stuff as me. <laughs> Man, I was like, wow. I mean, I guess if you really wanted to play this idea, and I, you know, to be fair, I. You know, it was it was different. You know, where Warzu was a cool character, was a different character. So if that's if that's what he wanted to explore, I've got no criticism of that. I'm not gonna lie, I might still call the new character Warzu. Uh, that would be actually I, funny anyway, oh, especially if your character no, call gets him, confused. Call him War Two. War, War Two. War. I was about to say Warzu Two. War Two. War Two. <laughs> I like it. I don't know what his name is supposed um, to be anyway. But no, that's that's the thing. And actually, for me, even. Um, I, you know, I play the Barbarian because I want to play the damage dealer who is really good at not taking damage and making hits, right? It's fun to be that guy. My problem is I want a good character background. Barbarian backgrounds are so tropey really and limited are. to begin with. <laughs> There's no way making a character on Tuesday to play on Tuesday, I would have been happy with my background. Interesting point. If I'd gone barbarian again, I because I, I couldn't cookie cutter him. Yeah, I, I don't know. Where else are you going to get another tiger Tibet Tabachi coming from? 
But Tabachi. And, Tabachi. and that was, I mean, he's a cool character. Tabachi. He was a cool character. So, you know, just, he was. And I'm sure he'll make an interesting wall hanging. I thought he became wolf food. <laughs> yeah, but he's, you know. What's left? I will make an interesting. My, my, he'll make an interesting pile partial, of orange and white tiger carpet. Yeah. fluff coming out of a pile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think there's definitely something to be said for that, too. Because ultimately, I want my, I, I would like as a player and as a game master to, to empower the players to have fun doing what they want to do in the game. But there's another side of the whole perfect party issue, too. It isn't about just having a niche or being supportive or, or having something that stands out or making sure you, you fit the party's needs. It's also that, in especially in games like D&D that do have such a cross-section of skills that are often used to kind of balance adventures, if you don't have something, it can hurt the party's chances of, of survival or success. And so it is. It often players often feel it is incumbent upon them, and groups right. can feel it is incumbent upon player. You know, writing up a character. You know, we need this. You know, well, we should. Do we that. just came out of Savage Worlds. Mm -hmm. uh, we were playing a lot of Savage Worlds, and which is when not a class system. So you know, the pandemic uh, occurred. We all flipped on and we're like, "Hey, we can do this with D and D Beyond, and this is really easy, and the dice rolls right off the sheet." Um. So we did that, and our first couple of party attempts died quickly because we were not balanced parties. And so we started good point building as well. to that perfect party. A good point as well. And that's why we started thinking about that. And I'm like, but I'm playing to have fun. If I wanted to play the perfect party, I'd load up World of Warcraft and start paying a monthly fee again. You know, I really hadn't thought about that. The 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 Eberron game and then the the game we played the the horror game we played it's like both of them had issues with you know the party being heavy and skill one skill set area and Eberron nothing, we know. didn't have any healers at first and then we started loading healers I don't know I built a healer right. and then it got one shot Eric <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about till this point we lost two of our fighters I went into an eloquence bard two of my spells are healing spells we have healers in Tuesday. Yeah, yeah. Healers, now lack of healers has, wasn't actually the problem. It, I don't think it really felt like the situation where it was like, everybody make a cleric. You had a cleric. You had a druid. You had a warlock with healing magic. You had potions. You know, you guys weren't really hurting for healing. If <laughs> you'll forgive the term. How about phrase. a party of pixies? We could just like pixies with a whole bunch of stuff. I'm sorry. I've got to go now. Thank you for listening to <laughs> episode. <laughs> Um, no. How, how about no? Um, yeah. Right. We could all fit in one five-inch square. Five-inch square, actually, even. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know what my next character five will be square. if Venkaran dies. Uh, it was good seeing you, Joe. I'll, um, <laughs> right. I'll catch up on the rest of the rest of the show some other time. Uh, let's talk about uh, social motives. So I was um, thinking about this the other day for a completely unrelated reason. And uh, I like to... When I get my brain going down a rabbit hole, um, typically having to do with things in everyday life, because I'm a gamer, I start thinking about how they apply. Because I'm a gamer and a podcaster, I start thinking about how they can apply and how I can like stretch that into a show. But milk it for content. It, absolutely, no joke, man. But um, this one had to do with motives. We're talking about motivation, you know, personal motives why people do the things they do. And it, it took me back to an article I'd read um, a while back, because uh, as you guys, many of you know, my first life, I was a psychologist in training. And so 
there was uh, a, a uh, theory that was proposed. Um, I'm trying to remember who it was. I looked it up a moment ago. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, Susan Fisk, maybe. The five core social motives, uh, which are uh, easy, easily easily remembered, if you will, <laughs> with the acronym BUCKET, uh, which stars for belonging, understanding, controlling, enhancing self, and trusting. And I wanted to talk about the system just briefly and then discuss its potential as a role-playing tool. Because... PCs in various games, you are, as, as a player, it is incumbent upon you to determine how you want to apply your character's needs or drives to the game. You know, nobody else should be, I mean, there, there are games where there's levels of this, of course. Like, if you're playing Fiasco, somebody else is going to describe some of your needs. I mean, that's that's just part of the game. But in, in typical, especially traditional role-playing games, nobody's going to remove this agency from you. you. You are fully in control of how you want to present and maintain your character's engagement with the world, with the adventure, with their party, with the, their personal goals, what have you. Assuming you have any of that. If you don't have any of that, you're listening to the wrong show anyway. So uh, let's talk about it a little bit. There, it, is, it is typical for parties, for PCs to have... Pretty simple motives. I think if you had to ask yourself real quick, well, and uh, because you're on my show, I'm going to make you ask yourself real quick uh, what what your character's motive is, core motive. What if you had to break it down into the simplest things, pick a character you're playing now. It doesn't have to be at my table. Pick a character playing now. And what is it? I mean, it's probably pretty easy most of the time. Yeah. I am using your game because that one I probably have the most sunk into the character backstory and everything, but that's Vincarin. And her biggest thing is just a better understanding about the world around her and how she kind of has been sucked in and belongs to this world. Okay. Um, talk about that one then. Uh, when I said, you know, belonging, understanding, controlling, enhancing self-trusting. The the uh, principles there would be, would fall under the category like um, understanding, which is the motive to belong, uh, people are motivated to create an accurate enough shared social understanding. Figure out where you, where you fit in, how you interact with, how you engage with, how you succeed, um, how you uh, achieve your needs from moment to moment. And controlling, which is where people, this, this can be a competitive instinct, it doesn't have to, but it's a way that you feel compa- competitive and effective in your dealings with um, the animate and inanimate environment. So especially when it comes to trying to understand your world enough to not just understand your place in it, but to determine your place in it, that can be pretty compelling. And that's kind of deep probably for a lot of PCs, you know, just because it people don't have to have that 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 level of a motive to propel them forward. And in all fairness, for to Vincar and your character, that's probably not where she came from in the beginning. No, in the, the beginning, it was just understanding. Like, yeah. I'm looking at the four, five keys now. It was really just trying to understand what was going on. It wasn't until we entered these borderlands that the controlling has become more of her motives. I know uh, Vanessa has at least one character in a game who's motivated almost entirely by greed. Yes. We talked about that. Yes. Uh, Greed is an easy one. It's it's a simple motive for PCs because it requires low commitment from the player. It's not entirely greed, and it's not only greed anymore. It started out as greed, and now her main goal is to create a marketing empire. <laughs> she, okay. she has already hired a fleet of goblins to be traveling salespeople. 
Now, again, very much a matter of controlling. Oh, yeah. A motive to uh, to take command of some element of your environment, your your impact on it, how you deal with it. Completely. And maybe enhancing self, mm-hmm. which is where you, you want other people to see you as socially worthy. Uh, you fit the, the core social motive of enhancing the self. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you're not just your self-image, but how you are presented and have received consequentially, too. Exactly. And um, that's, that's a pretty strong one and an easy one to see development into. And I like both of those examples because they're characters who start from one place and kind of grow over the course of the campaign into something more. Yes. I like that character. It's a fun one. <laughs> yeah. So going between some of my options, I think the most interesting story and the one that has the least, most depth in it would be Zed's character, whose motivations come from a background where his parents had left him with a uh, a gentleman to raise him and to teach him magic. And the gentleman made him keep waiting and keep waiting, keep waiting. The gentleman died. So here's Zed, no parents, no gentleman, about the age to go into schooling. And all the schools rejected him because he wasn't capable enough in magic to start schooling. So he wandered off into the wilderness to study magic. So his motivation, even in coming into this, was to be the great mage he's always meant to be, to meet some qualification with his parents— that he never knew to meet a standard that he's never even known what he's actually supposed to be doing in this world. Very much enhancing self, obviously. Yeah. Building on on the image he has inside to make it more similar to what's on the outside. Trying to create um, an opportunity to uh, make the right impression on on people in the world to 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 belong to that self image. Right. And he still he still has a lot of internal anger in certain directions, but he works very hard at trying to be the best mage because that's his focus. Well, warlock, because <laughs> that's the cheap path, cheap path to majory. Have it given to you. I, I think the most interesting motives on this list to me are the simplest and most elusive. The simplest is probably belonging. And that's where we focus on our need to affiliate, to to bond with each other. You'll notice there's a common theme here, too. And and mind you, I, I did say these are social motives, but they can apply across the board to a lot of our behaviors. But they're all oriented around an evolutionary imperative to, to grow, to master, to belong, which is community is where strength is. You know, whether whatever role you play in that, that's where the strength and survivability is, you know, our our primitive ancestors, you know, survived to uh, carry on the genetic material <laughs> of their being because they bonded together and fought off the uh, big bad world that way. So it's it's a very, very powerful sort of motive. And of course, because we play role-playing games, we take into account a certain assumption most of the time that our character is belonging to a group, is driven to for some reason. Now, you may have to find other motives to drive that if you want to play the lone gunman type or if you want to play, you know, the the one who the person is too cool for school, you know, so you, you never, <laughs> never quite fit in or, you know whatever but and, and as long as it's profitable i'll hang around with you dweebs. right right there's nothing <laughs> wrong with the archetypes obviously 
But there's still that imperative to do so. Whatever the reason, it becomes a motive because otherwise you would shuffle them off and go do something else. Now, I can see you know, obvious exclusions to this, like the person who has no choice, you know, because you can build that into your character or you can let a DM build that into your character if, if you know it goes that way, where you are required <laughs> to deal with these dweebs or you are put in charge of, or put made responsible for them or you are beholden to them for some reason. You owe somebody, you know, whatever it is. But still, the motives feel pretty similar. The other one is trust. And I was, yeah. I was thinking of trust because I was looking at the list. I'm like, I've made and ran characters that fall in all four of the other ones pretty good. I don't know if I've ever made a character who's like really based around trusting or not trusting other people. And, and trusting is, is viewing the world as benevolent, enables people to participate in many group activities without undue suspicion or vigilance. The idea that if you trust in the people in the world to behave a certain way, to embrace certain ideals, to generally be um, welcoming, then you can engage faithfully. For some reason that reminds me of had a piece of that. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Westworld was, if you think about it, as, as a story, very developed around motive and uh, needs. Yeah. You know, what, what drove people, what drive people to be what they are. And it, even the even the attractions. <laughs> mm. So, but yeah, my barbarian had built a, a level of trust with one of the other characters who had also died. Um, and was also extending that trust towards the new people that literally they just got together to start doing these adventures with. We'll go together. I really, uh, I really like seeing that stuff. But bonds between PCs are are powerful sometimes, especially when it's organic. You know, it's, it's sometimes it's harder when you start from scratch like that and go, well, you know, let's let's be friends or let's be brothers or let's be something. You know, it's like coming into this together. But when it happens organically, it can be potent and it can be easily abused. And that's the other side of that. You know, what if you you build that trust and then there's an inconstancy to the uh, other characters that are involved in that. So Ooh, the Will and Dr. Smith dynamic where Will constantly trusted Dr. Smith to do the right thing. Very much so. Yeah. But although that was a pretty one sided, you know, arrangement, I guess I, that was the original series. The old, next Dr. Smith was very untrustable. <laughs> <laughs> I loved, I loved the new Netflix. Right. I wonder if they could do she any was more than good. that. I know. I, I can't wait till they get more done. I, I'm hoping <laughs> I haven't read up on it or anything, but I mean, they have what two seasons out that were, Amazing. I've seen half uh, I of think one they episode. really got slowed down by COVID. Oh, God, I loved it. <laughs> and Parker Posey, man, she is so good at being bad. She was. She, she is so good. I, I, I would, I'm gladly would recommend both series for completely different reasons. Those are on Netflix, Joe, if you haven't had a chance to check them out. I haven't really seen good. the haven't first seen series. Lost I have seen the movie. I liked the movie. <laughs> We're going to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a different podcast. Fair enough. Said, Fair that, enough. That, yeah. That's coming up later today. <laughs> That's actually not what we're, what we're yeah. talking about. That's not the movie we're talking about today. A different series. Yeah. We're doing Stargate. But I don't mind putting Lost in Space on the list because there's going to be opinions. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I'd watch it again. That's a great, terrible movie. <laughs> so, um, yeah. <laughs> look, Richard, look on Richard's face. Yeah, and he, which he's a little suspect, I think, of anything that is a remake of something that was, you know, great in his childhood or <laughs> I, in that I case before his childhood. I and earlier sci-fi. Mm-hmm. I buy that. I know, I know. And I, I, don't, I don't have an issue with that. I just also like, you know, everything that doesn't look like it have wires <laughs> for the ships to hang on. Uh, so 
tr- not like the ships are going to fly themselves. But, but trusting is also a broader construct, and I think um, it's an interesting point, Joe. I don't think a lot of um, a lot of characters build that into their motive scheme. I mean, and especially in a broad sense, I, bonding with other people is also about belonging. So, you know, creating a relationship with another player character can be potent, but it can also be limiting because sometimes you decide as a player to limit the scope of that to you and the other player character or whatever. So it isn't it isn't about trust at that point. It's about building a relationship. The right. the idea that the world is benevolent and you can engage with it in good faith is a much harder sell for people. Yeah, in the general. closest I can think of to a trusting is I built a character who had like some not trusting issues, but I don't think I've ever had a character who just inherently trusts people. Uh, I, I did build more non-trusting than trusting characters in my past. Yeah. Ditto. And here's here's an interesting thing, because that may actually make you wonder about yourselves for a second. However, <laughs> in role-playing games, we don't play ourselves, you know. And a lot of times we look at the disparity and strive for something that we feel is stronger or cooler or more interesting than everyday life. So you can be a person whose motive is very different than your player character without being so radically different from the player character. Yeah. And, you know, I guess, I mean, it only matters in as much as it matters. But I, I feel like it's a, it's a powerful tool if you wanted to explore how your character relates to the world in the game, their fellow party members, their personal motives can be uh, an interesting place to start. Because like I said, greed is a strong motive and we were boiling down to what what it comes to here. But so is um, altruism, you know, so is faith. I mean, how many people play characters of faith, you know? And so I put all of my trust in my character's deity and what they represent and the role that they're given. I have a hard time playing faithful characters. In general, do you? I've tried it. I, I, I know, I know other people that do too. Nira has a very hard time. She doesn't. She doesn't really like it at all. You know. I need to try it sometime and see if I can actually do it well. But I tend to avoid it because, I'm, quite honestly, I don't have much faith in myself. So it's hard to play something that does because and I that's, can't relate that's what she to says. it. <laughs> so she says too. But that by the same token. You know, Jonica, for example, we're not a terribly religious family by any stretch of the imagination. Not that you know, we usually yeah. talk about that on the show, but but Jonica, for example, loves playing faith-based characters. I think to to her, there's something very gratifying about it, and there's also a that that nice sense of direction. Fair enough. You know, it gives you something to build on top of that's got a nice foundation to it. True. And I like it particularly because if I'm in that situation as a player, not only does it have that nice foundation, but a lot of times I get to decide a lot of that foundation. So That's it's also, also world building at that point. And I, yeah. I I like giving that opportunity to my players a lot of times. You know, if you come into my character or come, come into one of my campaigns with a character who's a faith-based character, particularly a cleric or somebody who's going to be very representative of that. Unless, you know, I, I realize that if I'm running a game in the Forgotten Realms, there's gods of the Forgotten Realms, whatever. But most of the time I'm not. I run most of the homebrew stuff. So you can come up with your religion. I have no issue with that want to name a god and stop there that's fine i'll make up the rest of the deals you want to write up the entire religion i have veto power but it's still you're still perfectly welcome to do it and now that i know that it starts oh (laughs) the fact that you didn't know that before is strange to me right one of my favorite examples of this i'm sorry go ahead i was gonna say or you leave your patron so open that you come to find out one of your best friend's prior characters is your patron and that's actually kind of related to where i was gonna go (laughs) <laughs> the uh, the War of the Burning Sky campaign that we ran that you were actually making a shaded <laughs> exactly reference where to. We went. <laughs> um, 
well, but it wasn't about that character. It wasn't about Jason's character. Um, Kid and uh, William from our original cast were playing a, a cleric and a paladin, and they decided to develop the religion together. So they came up with a god. They named the god Theos, and that the god was a god of champions. And so they figured out, okay, as a cleric of a god of champions, what's my role? As a paladin of a god of champions, what's my role? And that was the direction they went with it. And so, and clearly, obviously, a paladin doesn't have to be a religiously based character to function. But he, he wanted to create one that was very much involved with the church, kind of a holy knight kind of feel. And so the the for for the character the paladin the goal became very much the motive became very much about being what they preach. He is a champion. He is a hero of the people, and he has to hold that forth with everything that he does. You know that is part of his faith at that point. But the cleric wasn't about that. He wasn't about being a hero. He was about teaching people to be heroes. He was about bringing people into the flock who could become something more than they were. That's awesome. You know, it is so, and, and consequentially, they actually developed, you know, basically it's like having different sects within the church, different orders. And they de they developed some very, very interesting and divergent um, perspectives on that religion. And they didn't always get along because of it. They didn't have the same perspective. And sometimes that came down to an understanding of ordinance. And I remember when the characters actually kind of hashed it out. In a situation where this is what's going on, the cleric is the one who is in a direct, in the best position to interpret the teachings and writings of their god. In any situation in which this is what's going on, the paladin is the one who steps forward and you keep your mouth shut, sir. <laughs> you know, it, it was very much that kind of flavor. And it was fascinating to watch a couple of strong role players really exploring that space. And that's, that's where I realized I was definitely on the right track. And, you know, you're not always going to win, you know, with, with creative individuals like that. Kid is ridiculous about his, you know, his brain when it comes to world building and role playing. So it, it's never surprising to me that he uh, takes things just like two or three steps past <laughs> where most people would stop because we've done enough today. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> you know, not, not him. Now, this happens all the time when we're talking. I just came up, it's like, I'm coming up with other ideas for characters that I want to play now. That's why I invite you to the podcast, just so you can code character ideas. Oh, yeah. Like, now I want to play one who, game mechanic-wise, would be a, a warlock, for, but they don't realize they're a warlock. They think they're actually a cleric and that their deity is actually the patron <laughs> who's given them powers. That's awesome. And you can develop a whole religion, and it's yes. just a, this, like, basically a charlatan, but can still get, grant them some powers. And, and you could do it one of a couple of ways, right? You could do it so it's the, it's the lone person there who has learned this on their own, built this connection on their own, and that's what they believe is happening. You know, oh, I've heard of clerics. That must be what I am. I've heard of priests who gain power from the gods. This must be how they do it, right? Right. But you could also have it be where there's an entire order of people that this is what they think of themselves. They are the priests of this religion. They're just not clerics. Right. <laughs> they don't they don't actually do this the way you're used to arcane thinking. priests. And both I, of them would be fun characters to play. I've always loved the idea. Um, and it's been bandied about that some gods, like a god of magic, their priests are wizards, you know, whatever. There's always been kind of some gray area there when you when you think about it. But, you know, in D&D, &D, we have some pretty regimented classwork to give us a, a foundation from which to spread our wings. And so it gives you contrast. 
at the very least. I, I find it interesting sometimes dealing with a classless system like uh, Savage Worlds, which we play a lot, where you know you don't have to um, fit a specific paradigm. You just get yeah, to describe. It's easy to pick up a little bit of magic with whatever you make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you make your sacrifices, obviously. You To be good at one thing, you got to sacri- sacrifice the ability to be really good at something else maybe, but you know, it's, it's a point system basically, just like a lot of things. But, I mean, that, that's, that's cool. I mean, it liberates you to kind of decide decide that and describe that as you go and frankly the part that matters is how it engages with the game world so i uh i remember you played that sharpshooter joe in that in the one game of mine and um he was a buffoon he was an absolute buffoon he was fantastic to play because he was way overly confident he was the best sharpshooter out there and he was terrible and we and and because of the way you played him and the way that, that everybody engaged with him and the way the world reacted to him it seemed so feasible, you know, mm-hmm. it's like he would throw playing cards up in the air and shoot them and they'd have holes through them. How many of those cards had holes before he threw them? Nobody really knows, nah. you know, <laughs> and he'd give them out like they were and he'd autograph them or something and hand them yeah, out. To I, I autographed all the cards all the time. and would giving them out to people as souvenirs. And uh, he was I just we would run around behind him and pick as- him up. I assumed everyone <laughs> already knew me when I walked in the town because, of course, they would know me. And I love the idea of looking through the lens of that at the way your character perceives things, mm-hmm. right? Because because that was the way he engaged with the world. He assumed that that was the way the world worked. Yeah. So anything that he perceived, that he saw, that he experienced, that he encountered would you know, tr- travel through that filter. Very heavily in the confirmation bias. One person knows me, so of course everyone knows me. <laughs> And, I, and I've seen you do that with other characters. It's yeah. obviously something that you you like having some kind of filter you can build, and then it's, it's a great role playing tool. Yeah, you know, it, I don't it know if I ever said, but when I was building that character, that was supposed to be just for like a one off. That right, ended up, right, it really was. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I was trying to come up with a quick, quick character, and you had said like gunslinger, and I thought of, and I believe the character's name was Ace, but it was in the Quick and the Dead, where there's the guy who shoots the playing cards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where I drew the yeah, inspiration for trope. Yeah, I just used that was. That popped into my head, and I'm like, that's the character. Because he was a but, decent shooter, but not as good as he acted like he was. I will still tell you, in the real world, if you just go up to somebody and say, hey, you know me, you remember me, I'm da-da-da-da-da, nine times out of ten, the person's going to say yes and agree with you and continue a <laughs> yeah. conversation with you just so that they don't have to try to correct you. Because they assume that you're real right. real world weird thing, and maybe they don't remember. Yeah. This will probably say... This will probably say something about me, but I used to do this a lot when I was younger. I'd be like driving around and I'd see people walking on sidewalk. I just roll down the window and be like, oh, hi, hey, hey, call me. And I'd drive away. Oh, Lord. And I'd see them like sit there trying to figure out who I was. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that has a lot to do with force of personality, the way it impacts the world. I mean, it really does. The, the more confident you are, the more um, you, the more you expound on things, the more the more vibrant you you come off. The more people accept your version of reality, whatever it yeah. is, we see it in politics, <laughs> we see it in religion, right. <laughs> we see it in all the other things that we don't talk about on Metagamers Anonymous. But I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. that's the way the world works. And you guys will believe it because I'm telling you with confidence. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that, that's, you know, and then that's really it. Right. And it, that's uh, it, it really makes for great, um, great role playing because any time that you can create personality and Hold on to it in in game. Hold on to it in play. That's where the fun really is, right? 
because your character's abilities are what define how they deal with the challenges that come after them, you know, at the most of the time. But what what really people remember as your character, what really builds any kind of engagement, any nostalgia, because it's all a form of nostalgia, is how you engage at a personal level, how your character comes off in their personality, you know, the things you talk about, the way you talk about them, the things that you behave as if they're important. And the things that you behave as if they are not. Uh, and we've seen a lot of um, really, I, I think, a lot of good role playing in in the groups we have going right now. Less so maybe in the Tuesday group because it's a bigger group. But that's actually what I was going to say. Because we've been playing such smaller groups this last year and some change. And right. that really is a very compelling <laughs> argument for that, I think. It's not perfect, but no city of brass, you know. <laughs> right. I am excited to start reading through and hopefully sometime run that book because it looks like it's a fantastic book. I, it would probably be fun. I, I know Casey was pretty proud of it. I was working on it. And I know that Frog God was pretty proud of it because I can't afford it. So right. th- th- there's those things. I was only able to afford it because someone is buying two cheesecakes for me. So I had some extra cash. Oh, nice. Always good. I can't that, have cheesecake. Which quickly disappeared That's into sad. this book right here. All right. Well, uh, any anybody else got anything to add on that? I mean, I just kind of want to explore it a little bit. I know a great character motivation. Assamtees.shop. Um, so if you have anything you would like to add to the conversation. <laughs> See, that goes into my thinks I'm a cleric and you know, Jonica is my patron. Jonica is I get patron. all my power from tea. Oh, yeah, I'm down. <laughs> it is. Um, I need some Scottish puer power. <laughs> I have some of that in the other room. I need, we need somebody to buy some. <laughs> It's been a it's been it's been a quiet month. June always sucks for some reason. Because <laughs> it's hot, no one wants. Yeah, tea. nobody wants because most of the people that drink what we're selling drink it hot. You know, but we make a lot of iced tea with it, guys. You can do that. It's, it's just not I with have the a lot air. of tea. No, <laughs> not with that attitude. You can't. I love. <laughs> I'm not icing it. <laughs> Uh, definitely uh, drop us a line if if you have any opinions on this or anything else we discussed and, and very much we're always very interested in hearing other people's experiences that relate because you know we all know each other game with each other and so a lot of what we talk about has a foundation in things that we already know or have discussed time and again you know even though we mix it up a little bit and there's uh, sometimes a few different people on the cast here and there we, we definitely find frequently that your experiences are different than ours and can add some insight to what we're doing. Oh, yeah. with. So yeah, definitely uh, drop us a line. Well, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here. We've got another show to get to. So uh, we're going to plan on that. Joe, I want to thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah. Appreciate your pinch hitting. I was, uh, I wasn't sure what was going to happen with today's show. I didn't, I didn't want to go to the studio because it's 173 degrees. And so it's like, I, I'm, I'm just comfortable right here. We've all got computers. I can get a hold of people that can get on and talk to us on Zoom. And well, you don't you think that small foam box with no air conditioning because it gets picked up on the mics would be pleasant today? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm dying on the inside. I needed to get out there and, and do more work on my audio book, too. I'm like, <laughs> no. You know, even if I wanted to put up with it, the, the the bucket of sweat that I'd be mopping up every 20 minutes while I was hanging out in that studio, my voice wouldn't hold up. Yeah. You know, it just, it's, it, it kills you. It so kills you. So this was the way to go today. So appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for joining us for episode number 256 of Metagamers Anonymous. Getting on out of here for tonight. My name is Eric. I'm Rich. I'm Joe. And I'm Vanessa. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>